Wow, when you think about what we sang today, man, His grace is enough. Aren't you, aren't you all glad that uh, God's grace was for you? Uh, I can't even imagine where I'd be uh, if I was 18, 19, and doing the stuff I was doing, and had I not found the grace of God, amen? I'm, I'm glad that some of you don't have my testimony, but I know that many of you do. And, uh, you know, the testimony of just wandering aimlessly and doing your own thing and all that kind of stuff. And, but we serve a God who is absolutely amazing. He's incredible. It's an honor always to be at this pulpit to preach. I never take it for granted. And uh, today I've uh, got a message that's been on my heart for several months and uh, I'm going to do a two-part series, uh, and I'll say I'm doing it on e, the E word, the evangelism word, but what I'm really doing is a reality message. It's not about evangelism, it's about reality. It's about what God has designed us to do, and who he's designed us to be, and, and quite frankly, uh, if you're uh, a person who uh, writes down a, a title for a message, my uh, title today would be, We're Born to Reproduce. That's what we're born to do. We are born to reproduce, whether it's in uh, marriage and husband and wife reproduce, you know, children, uh, whether it's you reproducing yourself and somebody else in a leadership capacity. Uh, but most of all, we were born to reproduce in God's kingdom. And I say this all the time, man, there is a lost world that's been diverted from their original intent, who is wanting, wanting to know Jesus. And, and it's just a reality, and today you're going to find that out. I'm going to have a testimony I'm going to share with you guys at the end of service um, that's only going to be for your ears only. We're going to shut everything off when I uh, give you this testimony. But, um, you know, we're always grateful when uh, people return, and Bobby Weber's back with us today after his time in Kuwait, and uh, we just want to thank him for his service. It's because of families, families, you know, like yours, that we can do what we do and have the freedom that we have. And so understand, God bless your family and all that they sacrifice for you to do what you do to help us all out. And I'm just really thankful. I'm always, always thankful for that. And somewhere along the line, we're losing that idea of what it takes to be who we are, and we never want to lose that. I'm thankful today that my friend Gina's back with us today, too. So let's welcome Miss Gina as she is back with us today. I'm so excited about that. So we are born to reproduce. That's just a fact. And uh, it's God's heart that as we reproduce, that one of his promises always comes to bear. The idea of that it's his heart that none should perish. And in 2 second, second Peter uh, chapter 3, the, the ninth verse, it's that simple scripture that we all know so well and it says this means that contrary to man's perspective isn't that interesting contrary to man's perspective contrary to man's perspective you know a lot of times it's man's perspective that leads people in an opposite direction of where God would have them to be 
It's man's perspective that this, this is too binding, that this is, this is too hard to live by, that, that uh, it's man's perspective that I could never live up to this. You know, how many people do you go up to and say, man, as soon as I get it together, I'm going to come to God. Well, you know what I always say? Good luck. I, I tried to get it together for a long time. I could never get it together. He's the one that puts us together. Amen? You're not going to get it together and come to God. You're going to come to God, and then he's going to put you together. Because when we're away from God, that's not his original design. You know, he, he didn't say, I created Adam and Eve, and then I had a revival service, and I got them both saved. Yeah, I mean, really. And uh, his original intent always was, I created Adam, Adam and Eve, and I wanted to have fellowship with them. And so when we're at a place that we're outside of that role that God has in our life, if we're outside of the place to where we're not in intimate fellowship with him, we're not in the place we're designed to be. And one of the things that, uh, well, I, I want to use the right word here. How about concerns me is that so many times we look at people who are outside of the place where God would have them to be and instead of uh, having a broken heart for them, we have a judgmental spirit. We get to the place to where we can look at a person, we can see all of their faults, we can see all the negative things that they're about, but what we can't see, I'm getting ahead of myself here, we can't see God's original intent. And instead of looking at them with eyes like Jesus and saying, wow, I know that that person has an amazing destiny in God, but they're just not there yet. I know that person has the, the incredible natural talents that they have that if they would uh, be utilized for the kingdom, it would make a, a tremendous transition. You know, I always uh, look at like a person like Elton John. What an amazingly talented individual. And when I see him playing one of his incredible songs, I always say, Lord, if you would touch his heart and he would play worship music for you, it would be the most amazing music that we could ever, hear, could ever hear. See, God gave him that talent. And he's just been diverted away from his original design, which was to play for God, to play and have intimacy. Now, I don't know Elton John, and I know that's some far out... Uh, thing, but you know what? I believe that God answers prayers, amen? And I believe that when somebody's away from their original intent, when we look at them with our natural eyes, we just become critical. We live in a day where everyone is critical and judgmental and degrading and demeaning, and that's not God's best, amen? And so, when we get into this kind of cultural perspective, what we find is, is that believers have a tendency to shrink back in a cocoon and, and they don't feel adequate or worthy or confident in sharing their faith. But in these times that we live in right now, people are desperate to hear about the gospel. And you say, well, pastor, not the people I hang around with. They're not desperate. Listen, trust me. And there are times where they lay their head down at night and something squirrely has happened through the day. They wonder, is there a God? They wonder, would that God care about me? They wonder, what am I here for? 
even the toughest soldiers or the smartest CEOs, everybody comes to a place to where inside of them they question, is there something more? Is this what I was designed to be? And the truth is, is that we as believers are the ones that carry the mantle of the gospel that is to be shared with other people so that they can come out of the place that they are right now into the place of their intended destiny. Intended destiny. The Lord is not slack according to his promises. This means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return as some measure lateness. But rather, his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to that place of repentance. You know, I wrote in my midweek article this week that I love statistics. You know, uh, I comb uh, the baseball statistics during the baseball season. I can tell you that Turner's hitting 374. He's got seven homers and 21 RBIs. I can tell you stuff that you don't even want to hear like that. <laughs> Statistics are amazing. They, 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 they say something. They say this guy is, is not doing this right. This guy's not doing that right. Or this guy has improved. Or that girl now, you know, shot 50% from the foul line last year, but she's shooting 80% now. So we know something happened between the 50 and the 80. She did something to change that. That's what statistics show us. But I know this is this. Statistics help to clarify so many things in life. And here is a clear kingdom statistic. 100% of people who die without a relationship with Jesus will spend their eternity in hell. And it's as simple as that. It's a statistical proof. But here's the good news. The good news is this. God calls us to love those around us, to love them enough that we are willing to share with them the joy of knowing God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. If we are hiding our Savior, we're hiding him from those who are lost and most in need of him. The Apostle Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians, and I'm using the uh, TPT version this morning, so I'm going to have to do a little uh, surfing on you here, is this. He said in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 4, 1, Now, it's because of God's mercy that we have been entrusted, listen, with the privilege of this new covenant ministry. Think about that. When's the last time that you felt like you were privileged to be a part of the new covenant ministry and to have the job of reconciliation? When is the last time that you woke up and said, God, man, I am so privileged to be the one that gets to share the gospel with people? And we will not quit or faint with weariness. We reject every shameful cover-up and refuse to resort to cunning trickery or distorting the word of God. Instead, we open up our souls to you by presenting the truth to everyone's conscience in the sight and presence of God. Even if our gospel message is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. Why? Listen to me. For their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day spring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the divine image of God. We don't preach ourselves, but rather the lordship of Jesus Christ. For we are your, listen to this. He's saying we are your servants. We are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of the darkness. Isn't that interesting that the Apostle Paul was saying to the church in Corinth that we are your servants. This is what our honor was. It's our honor to be the ones that get to tell the story of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I don't think that we view our relationship with God in that perspective. That the honor is ours. That 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 and you know when somebody says it's an honor to do something it means that you know it's something you want to do because of the privilege that you have in doing it i love being the chaplain of the football team i mean that's a privilege to to get to pray every friday night with the coaches or you know for 14 years i got to give a bible message to the players on the team that's a privilege to be able to do that and what an honor it was uh, to have so many of the kids over all the years come back to me and said, Rev, you know, I remember the message you preached on that third game of the season. It changed my life. What a privilege it is to be able to do that. What an honor it is to be able to take the gospel and on a, in a locker room on a Friday night, talk about how good Jesus is and, you know, that Jesus is the warrior and he wants you to beat up on Gehanna, and all that stuff was included as well. I'm not going to lie to you. Some biblical hype going on in that locker room. But what an honor it is. And see, all of this is about perspective. It's really about perspective. There's no greater way to honor the unsaved than to share the precious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is also a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. See, the gospel is, it's a weapon of warfare. Why? Because there is light and there is darkness. And when you don't have Jesus, I don't care if you're the best person in the world. I don't care if you're the best philanthropist. I don't care, I don't care if you give uh, generously in, in all of those. You're living in a realm of darkness. And that's where the enemy plays. He plays in darkness and he diverts people from what their ultimate destiny is. You know, one of the most demonic things in the world is heroin. I mean, it's just the most demonic thing in the world that something could just choke off a person's existence that they're unable to even function in life because of something that is in the darkness. Amen? How many of you would agree with me? Are we all with me today? Hallelujah. There's a darkness and a light. We have the message that people need to hear. We have the truth. No matter who rejects it, it's our job to teach it and to talk about it. And so when we continue to look about uh, these types of things and we continue uh, to understand that we're born to reproduce, turn with me to John chapter 3 real quickly. 
I want to look at how Jesus says it. John chapter 3, and hang with me because I'm going somewhere today, okay? Right now I'm the sixth inning setup man. But in a couple minutes I will be the ninth inning closer, okay? So hang with me here just for a little bit. Sometimes we need reminded of these things. In John chapter 3, at Nicodemus, uh, a rabbi comes to Jesus and he says, Now there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus, who was part of a sect called the Pharisees. And a member of the Jew Jewish ruling council, council, one night he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. And Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Ah, the eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must experience a rebirth. Okay? In other words, they must be born again. Nicodemus said, rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's, it's impossible for a man to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. And Jesus answered and said, I speak of an eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and of the spirit, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to the spiritual supernatural. Now, you know, we all know that we're spirit, soul, and body. And what happens when we get into this darkness realm, we either attach ourselves to a spirit that's not of God because there are, you know, demonic spirits and those types of things. And sometimes those are the gods of this age that blind us and we don't even know we're attached to them. And, you know, we have to give people grace because until they see the truth, they don't know what, they're, what, what darkness they're living in. So there's, there's that darkness realm and there's the realm of light. But uh, the, the realm of light that's lived in with Jesus is a supernatural realm. And the only way to walk in that supernatural realm is by connecting yourself to God's spirit. And no, the, the worst people in the world have a spirit inside of them. But until they connect that spirit to God's spirit, they'll always rest in a place of darkness. Always will rest in a place of darkness. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement. You all must be born from above. For the spirit wind blows as it chooses. You can hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So it is within the hearts of those who are spirit born. Then Nicodemus replied, but I don't understand. What do you mean? How does this happen? I mean, Nicodemus, a religious leader, he, he, he didn't grasp hold of it. He didn't know how it happened. He, he, he's longing to know. He's no different than most people right now. They, they hear of that kind of realm, but they just don't know how to get into it. It's not, you know, there's more people that are not denying God, but they just don't know how to get into the place to where God is. Listen, I got saved at 16 at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event. And I know that's when I asked Jesus into my heart. But I didn't totally get it till I was 22. There were all those years where I was still searching, still wondering, still hoping. 
But I had a lot of people that were in my corner that they were praying for me. They were praying for me. And this is an important point. Then Nicodemus replied, but I don't understand how does this happen? And Jesus answered. He said, Nicodemus, aren't you the respected teacher in Israel? And yet you don't understand this revelation. I speak eternal things about the things I know, things I've seen and experienced, and still you don't accept what I reveal. If you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, then how will you do, then what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? No one has risen into heavenly realms except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. And then we go on, it's, you know, verse 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that as we believe in him, that we walk out of the place to where the enemy would want to take us and into the place that God's original design was. God's original design. You know, so often we focus on where people are and we become discontent because they're not where we are or where God would want them to be, and we don't know what to do to bring them into that place. When all God wants you to do is be available. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, it says, Then suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God, a messenger named John. For he came to what? Be a what? A witness. I think Pastor Caleb talked about waiting and witnessing. Is that right? Last week, waiting and witnessing. For he came to be a witness, to point the way to the light of life and to help everyone believe. John was not the light, but he came to show us who is. For he was merely a messenger to speak the truth about the light. For the light of truth was about to come into the world and shine upon everyone. He entered into the very world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came into the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. But those who embraced him uh, and uh, took hold of his name were given authority to what? Become the children of God. He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by man's desire, but he was born of God. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us, and we gazed upon his splendor and glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. Now, this is what John's role was. He was to be a witness of this. We know that, you know, uh, when he was in Elizabeth's womb, Jesus, Mary came, he, he, he leapt, and there was a connection. He knew who he was. His job was to be a witness because he had a great testimony of all this, and he was called to be the forerunner and lead the way. In Mark chapter 1, we see in verses 16 and 20, the first thing that Jesus did is he brought a hold, uh, he got a hold of a group of people. He got together a team. And now they were the ones, the 12, who Jesus was going to pour himself into. He was going to become the light to them to lead them so that ultimately they would be the ultimate witnesses that when he was gone, that they would continue to draw people unto him. 
The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, and I'm paraphrasing for time factor, is, is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's not to fall out on the floor it generally, although that's not a bad thing. I like when I'm overcome by the Spirit to the place where I can't even stand up, but it's for a specific purpose. It's that you would be a witness that you would be a witness in your neighborhood, in your city, in your state, in your country, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You know, Jesus' first thing that he told the people what to do was to go and make disciples of all men of all nations. As a matter of fact, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to just point this out to you, that in, let's look at verse 15, it says, so those who live should no longer live a self-absorbed life, mm. but lives that are poured out for him. The one who died for us and now lives again. So then from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate. Listen to this. This is good. This is even better than the first time I read it. So then from now on we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person, and that is related to the old person, that which is related to the old person has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself. And this is what he's done for us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the ministry he gave John the Baptist. This is the ministry he gave the 12 disciples. This is the ministry that the apostle Paul absorbed. That we are to have the ministry of reconciliation. No longer looking at people from an outward perspective. See, the enemy uses the outward perspective and the things of your flesh to look on somebody else's life and to already create a judgment that somewhere in your life has been internally brought into your existence. And it doesn't matter who it is or what it is. You know, I grew up, uh, you know, with a World War II father who had no respect for the Japanese. And I heard about it all the time. Well, maybe if you were over fighting side by side and you saw people losing their life to people, you'd have a different perspective. But see, we can't carry that perspective into the kingdom. No matter who you are or who they are. Because see, the, the, the reality is, is God has a better plan for everybody. And that's what we are the ministers of. We are the ministers of bringing people from that place of darkness into that place of light. And in here is the reconciliation process. And the reconciliation process is simple. When the truth of the light comes into somebody's life, they choose to walk out of that darkness and begin to walk in the light of life. Because that's what he's called, the light of life. And he brings light that brings us life and directs us to that original intent that he had for us. 
that in other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions as he has entrusted to us. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, that's you. The ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Listen, you have to ask yourself, do you have a limited amount of people that you could open the door of reconciliation to because you've already judged a whole sector of people? If you're a Republican, can you minister to a Democrat? If you're a black person, can you minister to a white person? If you're a Michigan fan, can you minister to a Buckeye? All of these are reality. All of these are perspectives that we've created about someone else or something else that we've had or we've experienced in our life. But he's entrusted us to the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Then he's given us the great title of we're ambassadors to the kingdom. We're ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through whose lips? Is, is that scripture? Oh, it's not up there. Okay, as, as what's that? The, the word here says that he's, he's ministering to them tenderly with them directly through our lips. That's how God is ministering. He's ministering through our lips. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, I'm not pointing all the flashy scriptures out today to make you feel good. I know this is a, I know this is a hard string. I get it. But you know what? It, it, it's an important string right now. You know... Things are the way they are now, but they're always going to, they're going to continue to be more challenging, continue to be more challenging, but we have to determine, are we going to be ministers of light or are we going to pull ourselves into a cocoon and just try to ride out the storm? We were never intended to ride out a storm. We were always meant to be overcomers in Christ Jesus. Okay, now, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 16 through 23, I want you to see this. Actually, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, I'd rather die than have anyone rob me of this joyous reason for boasting. <laughs> He'd rather die than somebody else get to share the gospel for him. For you see... Even though I proclaim the good news, I can't take the credit for my labors. For I am compelled to fulfill my duty by completing this work. Who's on your list of compelling right now? Just, just think, you know, think about this. Who's on that list that you have right now that you are absolutely compelled to bring the gospel to these people? I mean, the Apostle Paul, he was compelled to do the work that he was doing. It would be agony to me if I didn't con constantly preach the gospel. 
If it were my own idea to preach as a way to make a living, I would expect to be paid. Since it's not my idea, but God's who commissioned me, I am entrusted with the stewardship of the gospel, whether or not I'm paid. So then, where is my reward? It's found in continually depositing the good news into people's hearts. Listen, without obligation, free of charge, and not insisting on my rights to be financially supporting. And verse 19 says, now, even though I am free from obligations to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. Now that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's our attitude. That should be our perspective. That should be our heart. He, he understands what a great blessing this is to have this opportunity to share the gospel. Where did he get that from? Turn with me to Luke chapter 19, verse 5. Luke 19, verse 5, and I'm almost wrapping up here. When Jesus got to that place, he looked up into the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down, for I'm appointed to stay at your house today. So he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus. Wow, what an awesome thing to be, face to face with Jesus. And Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus. Many in the crowd complained, look at this. It's still happening today, folks. I know you find this hard to believe. Look at him ministering to that person. Look at him hanging out with that person. Look at him. Look at her. We can always point out everyone's faults. As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this. All of the people, to, of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to go eat with the, in the house of a crook. Wow, you know, that, that's not Zacchaeus' destiny. That, that's where Zacchaeus got diverted to. But when you come face to face with Jesus, something happens, Todd. It just does. Something happens when you become face to face with Jesus. Let's see what happened here. Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus. See, everybody thinks because of Zacchaeus was who he was that he was going to be freaked out by Jesus, that, that he wasn't going to uh, want to be around Jesus. Zacchaeus has a spirit, and the spirit of God was in front of him. And his spirit was saying, this is it. This is, this is what I've been waiting for. And so Zacchaeus was joyfully, he welcomed Jesus. He was amazed at his gracious visit to his home. You know why? Because he didn't look at him for who he was. He looked at him for what his intended purpose was. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, half of all I, now he's starting to give, he's going to give up the goods, man. I mean, Zacchaeus knows this is Jesus, uh, and something happens. The transition is beginning to happen. He's beginning to walk out of that dark place into that place of light. And Zacchaeus, because when, when you're touched by, by Jesus, everything changes. Murderers write most of the book of the New Testament. Adulterers are called people after the heart of God. 
When you're touched by God, those destinies of darkness change because you've been exposed to the light. Whoa! Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and he said this. He said, half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. You know what? The devil wasn't leading him to do that. Would you agree? And Jesus said to him, this shows today life has come to you and your household. When Jesus touches you, life, a life like you've never experienced before, a life like you've never known, a life in a light that will change you for all of eternity. When Jesus touches you, there's something that happens. For you are a true son of Abraham. Listen to what he, now listen to how he's speaking to him. He's not speaking to him like a crook. He's not speaking to him like a degenerate. He's not speaking to him like a whore or a harlot or a heroin addict. He said, ooh, let me read that again. For you are a true son of Abraham. Mm. Something's changed in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down from there. I am called to be in your house today. That's what Jesus said. There was people all around. Zacchaeus was up there because he wanted to be spotted. People are wanting to be spotted. And sometimes they do the dumbest things to get our attention. Listen to what Jesus says. The Son of Man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. No wonder. No wonder. No wonder mm, that Paul could do what he did. See, he was only emulating what he saw. Folks, we need to begin to emulate what we see in the one we love. Now, if you're watching us today, God bless you. Tomorrow or next Sunday, I'm going to transition this message. And uh, we're going to talk more about our role in the things that we do here. But for now, I'm going to say God bless you. Find somebody to witness to this week. Find somebody in the worst darkness. That it's a, an unimaginable situation. And take the light of the gospel to them and watch uh, Zacchaeus transition happen in their life. So God bless you. We're looking forward to coming to you next week. God bless you. Thank you.